is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, it's all about attitude. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday, getting you set for a big show today as we've got more Falcons news to get to as well. Why is it so easy to get a job in this industry? We'll talk about all that and more. Appreciate you guys starting your Wednesday with us here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Of course, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. And of course, you can always follow me at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. And I want to start today with uh, what I started with yesterday and pick up where it left off because I think that it it bears some of the things that I've said before are starting to come out through other sources and, and it sort of validates what I was saying. But moreover, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's big for what we're going to talk about. And it goes back to the Atlanta Hawks. And we talked yesterday about Chris Kirshner's mailbag uh, and some of the things he responded to. Uh, and he had, that was part one. And, and yesterday he had part two uh, and there were some more questions in there. And, and Chris Kirshner is going to join us here, I think tomorrow on the show. So uh, we'll get his reaction to this, but in part two of the mailbag, they addressed two major things. And these are things that I've already spoke about when it comes to the Atlanta Hawks and this off season. One, Nate McMillan. Two, Trey Young's attitude. Let's start with Nate McMillan. And a lot of the mailbag questions that came in, and again, I, I give all the credit to Chris because, you know, he wrote this stuff up, but I just like to kind of expound a little bit more on it. Remember when the Hawks got in trouble against the Miami Heat and we saw that they weren't able to make adjustments and that they weren't able to, you know, ever figure out a way to get through Miami's defense? And uh, I had asked at the time, remember, you know, I said as soon as they went down two games to none, I said, I don't like where this is going. Uh, the Hawks don't seem to have an answer. Uh, Nate McMillan is not really figuring any of this out. There's nothing, no, no adjustments being made, no sense of a, a way to get through all this. And so I asked the question and I said I was going to wait until the season was over to try and figure out an answer. But the question simply was, is Nate McMillan the right guy? And once the season ended, I thought it was fair to start trying to figure out if Nate McMillan was for this team, right? And so I don't think that anybody is wrong for asking that question. And several people asked that to Chris Kirshner in his mailbag, you know, that Tony Ressler gave a public vote of confidence to Nate McMillan. Um, but there were anonymous sources behind the scenes pointing his finger at him, uh, pointing the finger at Nate McMillan for, you know, what he did in the playoffs. and. To me, it's one of those things that I get and I understand an owner publicly, you know, has to back his coach. Because if you don't publicly back your coach, guess what? You know, automatically you're 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 going to lose confidence in him. The players are going to lose confidence in him and, and everybody's a dead man walking. So you have to publicly back the guy. But it is completely fair to ask questions about his ability if he is the right person to elevate this team and to make this team better. And I don't think there's anything wrong 
with asking those questions publicly. And I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with demanding answers for that. But two things seem to go hand in hand. And one of them is, is he making anybody on this team better? And if he's not making people on this team better, then how are they supposed to get better? If if Nate McMillan doesn't have this strict idea that defense is going to win them more games than lose, and that it's going to elevate them, and it's going to make them a team that is more competitive in the playoffs, then where else are they going to get it from? Because when I look around currently at the NBA playoffs, you know what I see? State Warriors a top five defense. I see the Miami I6 is a top five defense. Like I look around and the Milwaukee Bucks right now, even though statistically this year they weren't a top five defense, they have been the best defense this postseason. So I look around a lot and I see a lot of defense being played and that leading to deeper runs in the playoffs. But yet I don't see the head coach of this team doing anything to make defense a bigger part of an 82 game schedule during the regular season. And that's problematic for me. And, and I think that that's a real issue that this team and this franchise has to deal with. And it's really something that if they don't address immediately, then why are you keeping the guy around? Again, I'm not necessarily advocating for him to get fired, but he is partly responsible for the future direction of this team. And if he as the head coach doesn't address it, then nothing is going to change. Nothing. You know, it's interesting how Nate McMillan got here, because that's going to lead me to the next point. Nate McMillan got here because Lloyd Pierce got fired. Why did Lloyd Pierce get fired? Well, if I recall, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, Lloyd Pierce got fired because he had a strained relationship with his young star. And they didn't really get along well because Lloyd wanted one thing and his star wanted another. And in reality, Trey Young, for all of his accolades and for how good he is and for how much fun he is to watch and the the, the trajectory that he's on as a star in this league, uh, for all of those things, he is a pathetically bad defender. And while Trey isn't at James Harden's level at his peak where, you know, he was averaging nearly a triple-double and... Uh, he was leading his team to the playoffs and deep playoff runs and 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 things of that nature. Um, you know, Trey can't be that bad on the defensive end. And if no one is going to sit there and be the adult in the room to Trey and tell him, dude, you need to play defense. And if you don't play defense, we're not going to win games. You can score as much as you want, but guess what? We will be one and done in the playoffs every year, and you will eventually be shipped off somewhere else and go be a secondary player to some other star where you're going to go win on a team. Like, if that's what you want, Trey, fine. But if you want to be the lead dog pulling a sled here, you've got to play defense. And the only way that this team will start to play more defense is if Trey starts to play more defense because that's what people will follow. If Trey is the leader of this team, what he does, everybody else will do. If Trey's got his thumb up his butt on defense, then guess what? Everybody else is going to do the same Because what Trey does, everyone else is going to follow. He's the leader. And if the head coach is not going to sit there and force Trey Young to be more defensive and focus on it and get better at it, then nobody else is going to follow suit. And that's where we are. Maybe Lloyd Pierce wanted Trey to play a little bit more defense. 
Maybe Lloyd Pierce got a little bit in Trey's ear about playing defense and getting better on that end of the court and not worrying about so much about scoring and shooting threes from the logo. And maybe that's why Trey had a strained relationship with Lloyd Pierce, which ultimately led to his dismissal. And now he's got a coach that he loves who never bothers him, doesn't force him to play defense. And guess what? Sure, Trey's happy. Sure, you've won games, but you're not going to win a title. Period. Who's the adult in the room? What's the point of having the coach if he's not going to tell the star what to do? And I get it. Oh, you all say, no, no, coaches, it's the NBA. Nobody tells the stars what to do. Right. Nobody tells the stars what to do. And I get that. But the good stars in this league don't need to be told what to do. LeBron doesn't need to be told to play defense. He just does it. Kevin Durant doesn't need to be told to play defense. He just does it. Right? And and we've seen Trey play better defense. He just doesn't do it consistently. Whose job is it to make sure he does do it consistently? The head coach. You see where we are here? You see this the, the vicious cycle that we're in with the head coach and Trey? So bottom line here, very simply, and we're going to talk to Chris Kirshner again probably tomorrow, um, is that if we don't get better defense from Trey Young, and we don't get better defense overall, this team – will not get any better, period. So is Nate McMillan the guy? I don't know. I really don't know. They're going to run it back with him one more year, and you're going to see very clearly. Months into this season, this is still one of the worst defenses in the league next year. You got your answer. You got your answer. You know what you are. But there needs to be a long sit-down talk by Tony Ressler to his head coach and to his star because that's the easiest way to address this thing. Hey, Trey, guess what? If you start playing defense, everybody else will start playing defense. It's that simple, bro. It's that simple. All right, coming up next, uh, more on the Falcons. They get set for rookie minicamp. We made a bold prediction yesterday. We'll try to do another one coming up next. It's A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. More to come right after this. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Make sure you check out all the shows on our Locked On Sports Atlanta platform after A to Z. You got Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. You have ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. Of course, our Braves postcast with Grant McCauley. Locked on Falcons with Aaron Freeman and Locked on Hawks with Brad Rowland. The entire cast here, man, just really, really good. I'm I'm glad that you guys have chosen to make Locked on Sports Atlanta part of your daily sports listen, and we appreciate all the support and love you guys have given us since we've started this. The venture has been so much fun. It's a great group of people, and I hope you guys will stay along for the ride. Speaking of staying along for the ride, that's what Falcons fans have to do now as they are in this rebuilding process, and as they get rookie mini camp underway this weekend. I've kind of been looking at different players in this camp that I am excited to see, or at least interested to see how they're going to perform. Talked about Troy Anderson of Montana state and how he is going to grow and develop. And of course, Tyler Algier, we talked about him yesterday and I think he will be the starting running back in week one for the Falcons as uh, they take the field. When we find out on Thursday, what their, uh, schedule looks like, but week one, my guess is he's the, he's the bell cow back. He's the guy who's going to get, 12, 15, 18 carries every single game. Uh, Given what they've done with the rest of this roster, there's no reason to believe that he's not going to be the number one back uh, once the season starts. The player I wanted to look at today was Arnold Ibikati. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting where 
and sort of how, when you hit the rewind button, how they got Arnold Levicating, when you think about it. You know, obviously the Falcons took Drake London at eight overall. And we can assume that had Trevon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, or Kayvon Thibodeau fallen to number eight for some reason, the Falcons would have jumped on one of those guys first, right? They didn't. They didn't reach or take Jermaine Johnson, uh, who ended up with the Jets at 26, and he fell. And for some people, that validates um, not taking him. I don't necessarily buy into that because there are other teams that are in a position to draft for need and don't have to take best player available, like the Baltimore Ravens, who drafted a safety in Kyle Hamilton. They drafted for need. They need that position badly. There's, their secondary has been decimated with injuries and everything else. And, and uh, so they are a team that, that has the, the ability to draft for need. They don't have to take best available. There are other teams like Pittsburgh for best draft a need. They went out and got a quarterback. That's fine. So into that whole deal. It's one thing when a guy drops in the first round between the top 10 and falls to 26. And what happened in a Kobe Dean, who falls completely out of a round and goes somewhere else. There, there's a little bit, I, I think, a little bit more validity to a guy dropping and, and saying that teams passed on him for a reason, right? Like, there's, I think there's a, a clear difference there. So the Falcons chose to go wide receiver in the first round. We've been over that ground. We don't need to go over it again. But they went and got Ebikati in the second round. And they had to give away picks. They had to move up. They had to trade picks to get up and do it. Now, that tells you one of two things. Um, one, they obviously were targeting him and wanted him, uh, but they also needed to make sure that of all the pass rushers that were left into the second round, they couldn't afford to let somebody else grab him because then they felt that they would have had nothing, right? Um, and so it says a lot about, you know, again, and some of that's the way the draft board falls, right? Uh, who gets taken before you? I mean, the Falcons only had, uh, you know, one pick in the first round. So unless they were going to make a trade back into the end of the first round and give away a bigger qual quality of assets to do it, they were drafting in the second round. So things fell the way they fell, and a whole bunch of defensive players were taken. So when the second round started, they clearly knew that this was the guy that they had to have, and they couldn't wait any longer. So they gave away assets to get him. I don't know if that means necessarily – that they, they valued him that much. I think what it really was is that they saw a drop-off after Eddie Katie to whoever was next by a large margin. And so they, they made sure that they got him. And they did get him. And so here we are. And this is a, a player who, you know, when you look at his measurables and his size and his speed uh, and where he is, well, you know, I think that – this is going to be a very good fit um, for the Falcons. But what I really think is that when I think of Dean Peace, and, and again, I got to cover Dean Peace in Baltimore. Um, and so I know what his defense is and what he likes. And what he's really good at is elevating linebackers. Right? He and Ted Monachino are, are excellent together when it comes to making linebackers really good players and well-rounded players. And the best that I can think of, and this may be a lofty comparison here, but this just goes back to my days in Baltimore. Um, if he can use Arnold Abicati in a similar way that he used 
Terrell Suggs, and that's a huge name because Terrell Suggs is likely headed to the Hall of Fame. But they're of similar size. Ebikady's 6'2", Suggs is 6'3". Right now, Ebikady's 255, and Suggs is 265. So they're similar size players. I think that Ebikady's actually a little bit faster than Suggs is, but or was. But, you know, that's the kind of player I think Dean Peace envisions for Arnold Ebikady. Again, that's bold because of Suggs' lengthy career and how accomplished he was and everything that he did. He also got to play along alongside one of the best middle linebackers in the history of the game and played alongside, you know, one of the best defensive linemen to play the game in Hologinata and a whole bunch of other really good players um, on that team. That said, the Falcons don't have that stable. So things may be a little bit more difficult for Arnold Ebicady as he gets going. But I could envision him being used in a very similar way. Both, you know, as a guy who often puts his hands in the dirt and goes that way, or as a stand-up, typical 3-4 outside linebacker um, that works his way to the quarterback. And they're going to exploit his speed. They're going to use his speed as often as they can to try and get to the quarterback. And I think if Arnold Levicati is playing next to, excuse me, playing next to Grady Jarrett, that's probably the best position. If Grady Jarrett's going to play on the D-line, Jarrett's not going to play nose tackle, at least not typically. So if he's the defensive end there, uh, and Ebicady is next to him, that's going to open up a world of possibilities for both of them. Because you're either going to have to deal with Grady Jarrett, or you're going to have to try and keep up with Ebicady's speed. And I think that may be the best kind of one-two punch that they can put together on the defensive line. To me, that seems to make the most sense. So I'll look for that. We won't see it at rookie minutes. Grady Jarrett doesn't show up to rookie minicamp but that said that's something i think we could watch develop as we get deeper into the offseason program and we start to see i'm curious to see if it'll be evicati and grady jarrett side by side um and and try to just overload one side and at least give offensive coordinators fits about what do we do about this side of our line or, or you know that side of our line whichever way you want to go but you get my point um what do we do about that one side and how do we protect it uh, this way, you know, we don't get crushed. So maybe I'm getting out of my skis, but I feel like that at least is something in my mind that gets me a little bit excited about the Falcons defense. All right, coming up next, uh, why is it so easy to get a job industry? Because, well, you know, there are a lot of people getting jobs in this industry that never did it a day in their life. Good for them. We'll discuss that next here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. I am Mark Zeno. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. Appreciate you guys following along. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zeno, M A R K Z I N N O. And we appreciate you guys being part of Locked On Sports Atlanta and making us your first listen every single day. All right, uh, I want to wrap things up here today by, I guess the easiest way to do this is start by saying, uh, I hate Tony Romo. I hate Tony Romo. I hate Tony Romo. I hate Tony Romo. Uh, And you're going to ask me, why do I hate Tony Romo? Well, because Tony Romo did something, um, unknowingly, I guess, that nobody has ever really done before. Uh, And that is leave the playing field and immediately walk into a broadcast booth 
and be pretty good at it, right? Um, and he 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 was good. He's been very good. I, I personally don't think that Tony Romo is like the bee's knees of broadcasting like some other people have. Like I remember when he first got on the scene, like his big thing was being able to predict plays and it was like, oh my God. Like people were acting like nobody has ever done that before, which is just categorically not true. There have been plenty of other analysts who have actually predicted plays and called what was going to happen next because they played football for a really long time and kind of knew and understood the game and had to break it down for people. But a lot of those other broadcasters didn't have the benefit of Twitter and social media and everything else for people to replay it and make a big deal out of it when it really wasn't a big deal. So Romo got all these accolades for it. And like I said, he's good. He's very good. Um, uh, but it, it led to this whole deal of after Tony Romo, it was Jason Witten going right to the booth. And then it was, you know, Greg Olson. And, you know, now, now we got the Mannings in there. I mean, like all these people are leaving the field and going right to the broadcast booth. And now we have Tom Brady, of all people, signing the largest contract in sports broadcasting history 375 million dollars yeah put this in perspective folks tom brady made 317 million dollars in his playing career that includes what he's going to make here in 2022 317 million dollars in his playing career over the course of what two 23 years now he's going to make more than that for a 10-year deal at fox and not have to do a damn thing um, according to Fox, you know, they are saying that Brady is going to be uh, the lead analyst and he'll be alongside um, lead play-by-play announcer Kevin Burkhart and will also work as a, quote, ambassador for Fox with a focus on client and promotional initiatives, whatever that means. Um, I have a hard time believing you're going to pay somebody that kind of money um, and not know when they're going to start work because Tom Brady tweeted himself, excited, but got a lot of unfinished business on the field with the Buccaneers. So. When is Tom Brady actually going to show up for work um, with Fox? I guess we don't really know. Um, you know, Brady's never retired until he's retired. Like, I guess that's really what it boils down to. So uh, he's going to get this huge contract. And, you know, who knows if he's going to be good? I, I, I don't know. Um, I am somebody who, after, you know, doing play-by-play for 10 or 15 years and uh, obviously studying the craft between play-by-play and color analysts. Um, you know, I feel like I've been trained to listen to the broadcast differently. Like I think I pick up on different things. And I don't say that to like be, a, you know, pompous or anything. Um, it's just one of those things you have a, a sort of trained ear to hear. And uh, none of these guys really like do anything that I think is all that special per se. Like when Romo got like a million dollars a game and it was $17 million or whatever, I thought he was way overpaid. I'm not trying to say that, you know, he doesn't deserve it. I mean, you're worth what you get paid. You're, you you get paid with your worth. I mean, all that's true, but I just, I never valued him that much on a broadcast. Like I said, I think he's very good, but I don't think he's like over the top. Like I can't not watch a, a Tony Romo non-broadcasted game, you know, like it, I personally still think that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman do it better than everybody else out there. To me, that's that's the A team right there. And, and some people don't like those. I don't understand how you don't. They do it nearly flawlessly every single week. So uh, for me, th- th- that's that's the top of the list. And and if you don't think so, you're probably being more personal than actual understanding what their job is and how good they are at it. And I I assume Brady will be good. 
He's clearly very smart. He clearly studies the game. He clearly knows everything you need to know, but, uh, you know, whatever. I've never just put that much stock in it. Who calls a game? I've never turned off a game based on the announcer. Like, and I, 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 after being in this industry for two decades, it's like one of those things where I, I don't really feel like there's an announcer. Like it's rare the time an announcer play by play or analyst who tells me something that I didn't see for myself. It happens. I'm not saying it never happens. It, it, it happens. But if it happens once a game, you know, that's probably the most that happens. Uh, and when announcers make good points, I point it out. When I, when I think they do a bad job, I point it out. But it's never anything I lose any sleep over or, like, try to force down people's throats. So, like, I don't, you know, I, I just don't put that kind of stock into who the announcers are. Some fans do. It, it's it's everything for them. It's like, oh, God, I'm not watching that game. I don't worry about any of that crap. It really is. It, it doesn't wind my clock like that at all. So, um I'm just upset that Tom Brady gets to have more success. Like how much more success does Tom Brady need to have? It, hasn't he reached his pinnacle? Like, doesn't he have a, can we spread some of other success around instead of giving him $375 million? Dear Lord. I mean, we're so consumed by football, man, that they can afford to pay a dude $375 million over a 10 year period. He, he never even got a contract like that while he was playing. He just got Patrick Mahomes' contract to do nothing except work one day a week. <sighs> Completely unfair. But then again, life's not fair. Deal with it, right? All right, that'll do it for us today on A to Z. Appreciate you guys listening, following, being part of everything we have here on Locked On Sports Atlanta and making A to Z your first listen every single day. Make Hitting Hard with John Chuckery your very next listen. The ATL Sports Talker covers everything. Hawks. Falcons, dogs, Braves, whatever it is, he's got it all for you. And you guys tune in every single day to Hitting Hard with John Truckery because the show is really good, as every show is here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be back tomorrow for a Thursday edition. You guys have a great day. Don't take the crap, anybody. See ya.